Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the Hospital Finance Podcast. Every other year, the Physicians Foundation, with the assistance of Merritt Hawkins, conducts a nationwide survey that gathers physician perspectives on a range of topics regarding their practice patterns and how they see healthcare evolving. To talk with me about the results of this study, I'm joined by Phil Miller, who is Vice President of Communications at Merritt Hawkins. Phil, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. So, Phil, you're a repeat visitor to the show. Welcome back. Just to refresh everyone's memory, could you just tell us a little bit about what Merritt Hawkins does and then um, just describe um, what the 2018 Survey of America's Physicians is all about? Sure. Merritt Hawkins is the nation's largest physician search and consulting firm. We've been in business for over 30 years, and we are a company of AMN Healthcare, which is the largest healthcare staffing firm in the country. Uh, Over the years, we've conducted a good deal of research uh, sort of on an in-house basis, looking at the type of incentives physicians are offered, uh, financial packages, their practice plans, and so on. Uh, We do that internally, but we're also contracted by third parties to conduct research on those types of topics as well. And one of those third parties is the Physicians Foundation. It's a not-for-profit group composed of physician leaders and state medical society leaders uh, that are trying to improve health care for patients and the overall practice environment for physicians. So uh, now every other year since 2012, they have asked us to do a national survey of doctors, Uh, we call it a survey of America's physicians, looking at how they feel, what their practice metrics are, so how many hours they spend doing uh, clinical work, non-clinical work, their practice plans, and generally how they feel uh, about the medical profession. Our latest version of that survey uh, was just released a few days ago. Uh, It's based on about 9,000 physician responses and it's one of the more comprehensive uh, physician surveys that is conducted in the United States. Yeah, it is very comprehensive. And uh, for time's sake, I'd like to focus on on just a few areas with you uh, here today. So first, let's talk about physicians themselves. Um, they've obviously gone through many changes uh, regarding their you know things like practice ownership, working hours, practice patterns. What can you tell us? Well, physicians, like everybody else involved in healthcare, are undergoing a transitional period, and change is always challenging, and I think they have been challenged by some of those changes. Overall, we're, we're going from um, what has traditionally been sort of a transactional system based on one-in-one encounters uh, that is driven by volume. The volume of things that hospitals, physicians, and others do is basically uh, the basis on which they are rewarded. Uh, Now, as you know, we're trying to move towards a more experiential experiential process where we're trying to look at uh, making whole populations better through sort of team-based care that's paid on value rather than volume. So it's a complete philosophical turnaround, um, and it's something that, you know, everyone is sort of struggling with how do we get from, you know, classic fee-for-service to fee-for-value Essentially, how do we take better care of people at less cost? Um, and that's that's obviously something that's difficult to do. So in the old fee-for-service model, it was basically based 
in the physician world on small private practices, dealing with patients on kind of an autonomous basis. A doctor would hang up a shingle, maybe practice with a partner or two, and, and that was sort of uh, the style. Now, to accomplish this transition, it takes uh, much more sophisticated electronic medical record keeping. It takes economies of scale. It takes integration with hospitals, therapists, uh, labs. Everyone is supposed to be working together. And to do that, uh, it really almost requires the employed physician model where rather than practicing in a small setting, autonomously, the doctor is employed by some larger entity off in a hospital. So when we first did this in 2012, close to 50% of the doctors identified themselves as private practice owners. Uh, in 2018, that was down to 31%, so less than a third now indicate that they are an autonomous private practice. Uh, everybody else is in some sort of uh, employed type of setting. Um, and that really changes the dynamic of how, of how physicians practice. Um, you know, when you own your own business, whether it's an ice cream shop or whatever it is, your emotional stake, your financial stake uh, tends to be tends to be greater, and it's more difficult to um, to relocate uh, to, to essentially turn over. So now we have this workforce of physicians that um, is largely employed; they're getting a paycheck from somebody. Um, it's more easy for them to uh, to leave that setting when they get offers from other people like us, of which they get many. So it, it, it really changes the whole working dynamic um, of what these physicians are doing. When you're employed, uh, somewhat counterintuitively, you're, you're still seeing um, a lot of paperwork in your practice. So these doctors are seeing quite a few fewer patients, 12% fewer patients uh, among employed physicians versus private practice. And that, in turn, sort of leads to a patient uh, access issue for you and me when we try to go see a doctor. We already have a shortage of physicians, and it tends to be compounded by this transition that we're making from, from the uh, private practice setting to the employed setting. So for all these reasons, you know, doctors, um, like most people in healthcare, are facing quite a few challenges. Yeah, and it looks, uh, based on the the uh, results of the survey that it's affecting their morale um, quite a bit. And I found that pretty concerning as a patient myself, as we all are at one time or another. What, what can you tell us about that, Phil? Yeah, so there's a dichotomy in medicine, which is these doctors are very bright. As we know, they're sort of the best and brightest. They did very well in high school. They got into good colleges where they completed four years of uh, collegiate training, four years of medical school, three to seven years or more of residency training. Uh, but then when they get out and actually practice medicine, they find that they don't have the control over the patient experience that they, that they train for and what really gives them their satisfaction. So a lot of cases they feel that they are documenting, spending more time documenting the patient encounter and processing the reimbursement, et cetera, than they are actually seeing the patient. Uh, in our survey, we found that doctors spend about 23% of their time doing non-clinical paperwork. So that's really not what they got into this for. They didn't necessarily get into it for the money or for any of those things. They really got into it to exercise their judgment, to have an impact, positive impact on, on people's lives. And they feel in many cases that that's not happening. So we found that 
uh, about 78% of doctors sometimes often or always have feelings of burnout. About 50% wouldn't recommend medicine to their children. 62% are pessimistic about the future of medicine. And the same percentage, 62%, feel like they have little input into how the health system is run. So that's also a source of frustration. Consequently, many of them, uh, close to half, are planning to make some sort of career change in the next one to three years. Uh, about 17% plan to retire. Others plan to cut back on their hours or work locum tenens on a temporary basis or seek a job that's not even related to health care. So that, from a patient perspective, uh, is concerning because all of those choices tend to limit patient access to doctors. If they retire, they're completely out of the workforce. If they cut back, they're seeing fewer, fewer patients. If they work locum tenens, they're seeing fewer patients. So all those things tend to compound uh, the challenge that you and I have when we want to go see a doctor and maybe have a hard time doing it. So in, in addition to, to physicians, you know, having some dissatisfaction with the medical practice environment, it's, it's you know, it's more than just uh, doctors getting something off their chest. It has, it has an impact on, on access to care, which in turn affects quality of care. It's certainly a transformational time, no, no question about it. Um, maybe something that dovetails with that is is their perception and their practice patterns uh, related to Medicare and Medicaid, and also uh, their preferences for single payer versus market driven systems. A lot of a lot of debate there, and I'm curious what you can tell us about that. We did find that most physicians still indicate they see Medicare patients. So 78% said that they see all Medicare patients, where a smaller percentage, 68%, see that they, say that they see Medicaid patients. Um, those are majorities, but nevertheless, again, it's an access issue. Uh, a lot of demand for, for uh, from Medicare patients and Medicaid, both of those groups, uh, the numbers of people covered there are increasing. And you have you know, over a third of people, doctors not seeing Medicaid and about a quarter not seeing Medicare. So that, you know, that does create access issues again, um, especially now that we, we already have a physician shortage. So that tends to compound the problem for people who are covered by government payers such as Medicare and Medicaid. We did ask physicians what they thought was the best direction for the healthcare system to take over 60% said they favored single payer or single payer with a private option. Um, and that, you know, that is a change that we've seen over the years. Uh, historically, most physicians have not favored single payer. And now it seems that um, many of them do favor some form. It all depends on your de definition of what you mean by single payer. But they seem to be trending in that direction. And you know, I would say it's not necessarily a wholehearted embrace of that concept. It's just um, a preference to what we have now. I think they, doctors want to move towards clarity. They want to move towards simplicity. Um, you know, we kind of see the way things are going, and you know, I think that's what what accounts for that. A few minutes ago, you um, mentioned uh, payment and reimbursement based on things like value and quality and, and that, that disconnect there. And as you, you dig down into the study, you see that um, physicians don't necessarily believe there's maybe a correlation or a, or at least a benefit at this point. Is, is that the way to interpret that? 
Yes, we do see a movement towards quality-based payment for doctors. So the number who said that they have some of their compensation tied to value increased uh, to 47 percent in 2018, up from about 42 percent in 2016. But nevertheless, that's still only less than half of doctors who indicate that some of their compensation is tied to value. So that shows that the whole value-based concept uh, is still aspirational. We haven't gotten there yet. We still have over half of doctors who basically are getting paid on pure fee-for-service of some kind or another, uh, whether it's based on relative value units or net collections or whatever it is. Um, it's a volume-based determinant. Um, of those who are paid on quality, uh, uh, about 14% of their total compensation is tied to quality, which is significant. I mean, that will tend to help drive physician behaviors once uh, that percent of their compensation is, is tied to quality. So we, we do see it picking up. Nevertheless, we're not there yet. Um, the, the negative is that most doctors, uh, about 60%, don't think that those type of payments will improve quality or decrease costs, which is what they're supposed to do. And I think the reason is because quality in healthcare is very difficult to determine. It's kind of like beauty, it's in the eye of the beholder. And often it's beyond the doctor's control. So if you're a physician and you have, say, poor patients who don't really have the option necessarily of uh, getting better nutrition, they may not even have transportation to go see the doctor, or if you have non-compliant patients, which you put them on a treatment plan, but they simply don't follow it, it's harder to achieve quality um, or what we now measure as quality. And so you actually get penalized if you're a doctor for seeing patients who have uh, social challenges or simply don't follow your directions. Uh, you can be penalized for that. And and, and then philosophically, what actually determines quality in healthcare, uh, no one can seem to figure out what that formula is or how you measure it. It's all somewhat subjective, and um, you know, doctors are essentially scientists who look at hard data and they have reservations about this whole business of measuring quality. So, what we also found in the survey is that um, kind of a very alarming percentage of doctors, 88%. Uh, said that some, many, or all of their patients uh, face some sort of social situation, such as poverty or unemployment or drug addiction, that poses a serious impediment to their health. So I emphasize the word serious because you know, these types of things are common, but do they really directly and seriously affect health? And these doctors are saying yes. So we have a big societal problem. We have a lot of people um, who are experiencing ill health in part because uh, they experience ill wealth. They don't have the money to take care of themselves, to get good nutrition, to follow up with the doctor, et cetera. So this is a larger societal problem. Uh, we're seeing it with things like reduced life expectancy in the United States, which is a little shocking to see that that has actually decreased. And it's kind of hard to put that big societal problem on the shoulder of doctors and say, you know, you take care of these people and we'll pay you on how well we perceive that you're doing that. So I think that's you know another reason why doctors are feeling uh, stressed and um, that they are not able to do what they want to do and have trained to do. 
As I mentioned, the survey is very comprehensive and, and it goes into a lot more detail than we've covered here today. Uh, Phil, if someone like, would like to get a copy of the full survey results, where can they go? You can go online to the Physicians Foundation, www.physiciansfoundation.com. Again, that's plural, physiciansfoundation.com. Or you can go to merithawkins.com and you can get a, a copy there. Phil Miller, thanks again for joining us today on the Hospital Finance Podcast. It's a pleasure as always. My pleasure. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss on the Hospital Finance Podcast, or if you'd like to be a guest, drop us a line at update at Bessler.com. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.